If you have your Bibles with me, I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. We're going to spend the next um, number of weeks in the book of Nehemiah, a great book of the Old Testament, a great story of how God raised up a man to lead his work and to do some great things for his people and for his kingdom. And I've entitled this series of messages, um, Building a Community of Faith. So we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, Building a Community of Faith. And I want to read for us this morning it, from Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to begin by reading just verses 1 through 4 for us as we start today. So Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Um, have you found the book of Nehemiah yet? I'm trying to give you the opportunity to find it, okay? Um, it's, it, it, it's in the Old Testament there. It's before you get to the book of Psalms. It's in the history books, we call them, of, of the Old Testament. And so Nehemiah chapter 1 says this, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that you would use this message this morning, your word today, and, and this book of the Bible in the weeks to come to speak to our hearts about what it really means to be the kind of community that you would have us to be. And Lord, that you would lead us, instruct us, teach us, give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say through your word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. And so again, we're looking at building a community of faith. And, uh, you know, as we come to the book of Nehemiah, we'll find that the focus of the book is, is the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Walls that were supposed to protect the people from harm and bring strength to the city and stability and prosperity to the people. You see, those city walls represented the well-being of the community that was meant to live within them. In this case, being the community of God's people, the community of faith. And thus, we might say this morning that the central theme of Nehemiah has to do with the building of a spiritual community, the building of a community of faith, and the well-being of those who are supposed to be part of that community. And so as we look at this book over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about what it's going to take for us as a church here in this place, Shrewsbury First Assembly of God, to build a community of faith and what it means to then go on to live as part of that community. You see, here's the thing, church, and I, and I want to pause and make sure we understand this today, that so many people in our churches today, especially in our churches, I'll say, they think that their salvation and their walk with God is just about them and God. You know, it's Jesus and me. I come to the garden alone and no one else is going to come in. And they fail to realize that when they came to know God through Christ, 
that they were made part of a spiritual community. The New Testament says that we are baptized into the church and that we are now meant to live in relationship with the body of Christ. You see, that's why the New Testament uses the phrase one another so many times. Accept one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Bearing with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Carrying each other's burdens. Pray for one another. Love one another. And so forth. And I think we need to be reminded today that although each one of us is called to enter into a relationship with God through Christ on a personal level, no one else can take that step for you personally. But as we come to God through Christ in this way, we are made part of a spiritual community, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. We see in the scriptures, there's no such thing as a lone ranger for Jesus. Amen? There's no such thing as a lone ranger for Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ without being part of the church, the community of believers. For it has been, and it continues to be God's will, that we'll see ourselves, as Peter wrote, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, and Peter says, listen, once you are not a people, you're all kind of separated. You're all out there on your own, in your own, in your own worlds, doing your own things, divided from one another. He says, but now, because of Christ, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I'm reminded this morning that it has been and continues to be God's will that there should be on this earth a people who will represent him, who will do his work, who will minister to one another, who will bring blessing to others, and who will ultimately bring him glory. In fact, Jesus said, as we saw last week, as, as I preached at our outdoor service, Jesus said, I will build my, what? Church. An assembly of called out ones. That is, Jesus is at work even in the midst of a pandemic and all the things that we're facing in our world today. But Jesus is at work building his church and preparing her for the day of his return. And it has been his plan to build here on this earth a strong community of faith that will be a blessing to its people, bring the gospel to the world, and bring glory to God the Father. Amen? Amen. And so the book of Nehemiah, is going to help us understand how it is we can go about becoming that community of faith that Jesus intends for us to be. Now, just a little background for those of us who may not know the story of Nehemiah. But you see, at this point in the history of Israel, it's been almost a century since the first return of Jewish exiles from Babylon. You remember, um, Judah had been overrun by the Babylonians, taken into exile for 70 years. They were there before any of them returned. Now it's been almost a century since the first return, and almost three quarters of a century since the completion of the temple. And thus, we would have thought that by now, everything was all right in Jerusalem. We would have thought that everything would have been back to normal, back to the way it was supposed to be, that everything was in order for God's people. For the temple had been rebuilt. Worship had been reestablished. The book before Nehemiah is the book of Ezra and shows how Ezra reestablished worship in Israel. But, but the fact is things were not 
all right in Jerusalem. And here in Nehemiah 1, we read of some men coming to Nehemiah. And we read that Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the Persian king Artaxerxes. And let me just say, that was a position of honor and influence. But here he is, the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. And these men come to Nehemiah, bringing to him some news regarding the state of the exiles who were now in Judah. And the news they bring has to do with the condition of the city, its people, and its walls. And, and, and soon as we'll see, Nehemiah is sent on a mission, a mission to rebuild the walls. But as we begin our study this morning, I want us to catch right here in chapter 1, I want us to catch, first of all, a glimpse of Nehemiah's heart. I've entitled this morning's message, A Heart for God's People. Because that's where it all begins for Nehemiah. For it was out of his heart for his people that all of the rest of the story flows. It was out of his heart that Nehemiah then goes on this mission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It all starts with his heart. And so in verses 1 through 3, you'll notice I, I read them a few moments ago. In verses 1 through 3, we find that Nehemiah received a word of bad news. Right? How many of us like to get bad news? Of course not. We get, but we do get bad news every day, don't we? That's why the gospel is so wonderful, because it's good news. Amen? But Nehemiah that day received some really bad news. And notice the description of the news that he got. He's told that the people back in Jerusalem and in Judah, they're in great trouble. They're in distress. They're in affliction. The root word that's used there in the Hebrew has to do with evil taking place. And that word evil, I mean, it, it speaks of the fact that things were not the way they were supposed to be according to God's plan for their lives. Things were not right. The thought is that something terrible is taking place. It's a horrible state that they find themselves in. And they go on to say that the people are in disgrace. They're living with reproach. They're living with shame. And the word that's used there has to do with stripping something in order to expose it. Like, like, like when, when, when a, a people would be captured, even when the Nazis took people into concentration camps and they stripped them naked and they made them stand there naked in front of soldiers, in front of others, and it brought shame and disgrace upon them. It was as, as, if, as if the people of Judah had been stripped and left naked. They were in disgrace. And why? Because they say the walls of Jerusalem are broken. You see, the wall of the city was lying in ruins, and thus the people were, were without protection from invasion. They lacked the stability and security and the sense of assurance that the walls were meant to bring. And they were yet seen by those around them as a weak and defeated people. Oh, look, they have no walls. They have no walls. You know, when I first went to work with the, the school that, that, that I've worked with for a number of years down in, um, down in Leon, Nicaragua, it was really interesting because for some reason when the school was built, they had all this property, beautiful compound of buildings, but the only wall they had was kind of a decorative wall in the front by the, by the road, and they had no walls around the rest of the building. And do you know what I found out very shortly, and especially after we had had a robbery on our, on our grounds there, I found out very short, shortly after, after beginning the work there that um, that word was out in the city 
oh, that's the school without walls. Because you see, every school, just about every house, has walls around it for protection. And those walls speak of, of something of those people, right? And I said, oh, no, 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 this can't be. I mean, we, we spent the next year and a half raising money and building a wall. It cost us about $60,000 to build a wall around. But you know what? We could not leave that place without walls because it brought shame. It brought disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down. And they go on to say, and the gates have been burned with fire. And gates had special significance in that day in that the gates of a city were not only a place where people entered and left and so forth, but the place of official business. It was at the gates that official pronouncements were, were made, where major business deals were transacted, where court took place and justice was meted out. Without the rebuilding of the gates, life in the city was still not what it was meant to be. And until the walls and their gates were rebuilt, the city could never be what that city was meant to be. Listen, as we consider the news, the bad news that was brought to Nehemiah that day, I want us to note that, first of all, the rebuilding of the temple was not enough to restore to the people of God the full blessing that God had for them. For notice that Nehemiah did not respond by saying, oh, big deal, the walls are down. Hey, what are you whining about? At least you've got your temple. At least you've got a place to worship. Who cares about walls? Who needs walls? That was not Nehemiah's response. But rather, Nehemiah and the others knew that the walls were important for the walls represented the well-being of that community, the well-being of that city, the well-being of God's people, both individually and corporately. And you see, as I consider these first few verses of this chapter and the description of the people and their city, I can't help but sense how much and how well they describe the situation of so many people today, even within the church. Trouble, distress, disgrace, and shame, broken walls, and burned gates. Listen, church, I know that when we come together, and, 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 and it's so nice to see so many here with us today. I wish we could have everybody here at the same time, right? But listen, I know that when we come to church, we as Christians, we all know how to put on what I call the happy Christian face. You know what I mean? Now, I can't see because you all got masks on like you're supposed to, right? I can see the smile in your eyes, though. Okay, I can. Right, but we all know how to do it. We all, right? know how to make it appear like, like everything is okay. But all we need to do is look just slightly below the surface at the lives of so many people around us and find lives that are in trouble, broken, full of shame. For so many people are broken. Hearts have been burned. Homes, families that may be falling apart, relationships that have become strained. The stress of life has taken its toll, especially in a day in, such as this in which we live. And the enemy has done a number on so many of God's people to the point that their minds are just filled with despair and their spirits are burned out. And time again, they find themselves filled with guilt and shame. Listen, you know, as, as a pastor, I have a lot of people through the years who've come into my office or whom I've sat with and counseled. And sometimes, sometimes after they've left, I've just had to sit and cry over what's happening in their lives. 
I mean, people who come to church like, like every week and, and, and everything seems to be okay, but, the, but when they're back home, the husbands and wives are fighting and the children are rebelling. And, and the man who's fallen back into drug addiction or pornography and his, his life is falling apart. And the, and, and, and the teenager who's, who, who's just giving into the, the pain and the anxiety that, and, and, and the stress that this world is putting upon them. Listen, church, we can close our eyes to it all and pretend that everything's okay. But I want to tell you this morning, it's not uncommon that as we dive into people's lives and into what's happening beneath the surface, even within the church, we might discover there's some bad news. For so many people are facing great brokenness. Lives are in need of repair. A community of people in need of repair. And just think, if that's the way it is among, among the church, what it must be like out in the world today. And so, you know, there is some bad news that sometimes we need to face. We can't pretend that everything's okay in everybody's lives. And I want you to notice Nehemiah's first response. In verse 4, we read it where he says, says there, that when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. Nehemiah's first response was a response of mourning. That is, he didn't go running to Jerusalem to chide and discipline the people for their lack of vision, their laziness, their sin. He wasn't critical of the people or harsh with them. He didn't say, come on, what's wrong with you guys? Come on, you're not spiritual enough. How come you're not more committed? Why haven't you gotten the job done? How could you let these walls stay in disrepaired? And so many people today in the church would have been just like that, harsh and critical. Even church leaders today may have been totally insensitive to the condition of the people. But again, notice Nehemiah's response. It was one of mourning for the descriptions that are given from the sitting down to the weeping to the grief to the fasting. They all relate to, to the means of mourning over the death of a loved one. Nehemiah felt so distressed over the plight of his fellow Jews that he literally went into a period of mourning. It was as if they had died. It's kind of like Jesus who could look over a crowd and see the hurt and the pain. You know, he looks over a crowd and he's not standing there and like, ah, you know, look at all the people coming to me. Oh, this is great. No, he looks over the crowd. He sees their pain. The Bible says he's moved with compassion even to the point of tears. I believe Nehemiah's response was the same. Maybe like Jesus is on that Palm Sunday as he rode to the top of the Mount of Olives and he looks over Jerusalem and he sees the brokenness therein and he stops, he pauses on what should have been the best day of his life, but he pauses and he begins to weep over Jerusalem. I kind of liken it to a parent who sees their child in pain or in some terrible condition and, and the response of that parent I remember years ago, our son Jonathan is here this morning, but when he was, he was like maybe two years old and we had to take him into the hospital because of, 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 of some infection that had taken over his body and he's in my arms and all of a sudden he goes into a fibril seizure. I mean, his, in a moment's time, his fever spiked to like 108, something like that, and he, his body began to react and I go running out into the hallway and I say, somebody help me, my son is having a seizure and next thing I know, the nurses come, they swoop him out of my arms, they take him in the back. I don't know what they're doing. And Kim and I, what did we do? All we could do is sit in the waiting room and pray and weep, mourning over what's happening to our son. 
The prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, wrote, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. And Nehemiah felt the pain of his people and thus began to weep over them. His, his heart for them caused him to feel their distress and their shame. He loved them enough to begin to mourn. I would ask us today, have we as God's people allow God to touch our hearts in the same way with the needs of his people? Do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to feel their pain, to sympathize with their hurt, to weep over their brokenness? Do we love Christ's church enough to mourn over the fact that so often so many of his people are missing out on the blessings he's planned for them, or too often they've been left open to the dangers around? Listen, there are, there are plenty of people who will complain about others, even their fellow believers and about the church. I, hear, I even hear it from pastors. Oh, if those people were just more committed. Oh, if they would pray a little bit harder. If they would get up and do their morning devotions. And pe- plenty of people will nitpick when, when, when things don't go the way they want them to. People can be harsh and critical with a lack of this and too much of that. And, but I ask us this morning, who will mourn for them? Who will see the stress and the brokenness and the pain and allow compassion to well up in their hearts for those whose lives around them are broken? Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, once prayed, may may my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Is that our prayer this morning? Well, finally, this morning, Nehemiah, he mourned, and then his second response was, was a response of prayer. A response of prayer. In fact, I, I don't have time to read the whole prayer this morning, starting in verse number 5. But let me just read for us from verse 10. It says this, Nehemiah says to the Lord, Listen, they, the people of Jerusalem, they are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to, to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. You see, not only did Nehemiah enter into this time of mourning, but also into a time of prayer. For how pitiful it would have been if he had nowhere to turn with his grief. But Nehemiah, although as we'll see, you know, Nehemiah was basically a man of action. Nehemiah wanted to dive in. Nehemiah wanted to get the job done. But he knew the importance of bringing all things first to God in prayer. And he knew that his feelings for his people needed to, first of all, be channeled towards God, the only one who could ultimately bring change and hope and healing. Well, Nehemiah's heart for God's people and for that which was broken, it eventually eventually led him into prayer, a prayer for his people. You read it through, you find it's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of confidence. It's a prayer of compassion. And it's a prayer of faith. And I ask us today, when faced with the problems and the difficulties that we see in the lives of others, how do we respond? As we look at the lives of others, what do we do? Do we complain? Do we criticize? Do we gossip? Or do we pray? And I don't mean like, oh, you know, we got to, you know, pray for sister so-and-so. You should see what's happening in our life today. Oh, I heard, you know. Do we love people enough? Do we love one another enough? to intercede for each other? Do we love the church enough to continually keep her in our prayers? 
And especially when faced with that which is broken, are we passionate enough to pray? Listen, it's easy to sit on the outside and kind of say, oh, you know, the church should be that, and the church should do this, and, the, you know, and those people, if only they were more committed, and why don't those people get involved? And, you know, that, that, you know we go on and on, but you know what? I think, first of all, we need to begin to pray. Amen? We need to begin to pray. And as Nehemiah considered the fact that the people of God were living their lives among the ruins, his heart was moved to the point that yes, he mourned for what was broken and he had to pray. And especially during this, this very difficult season in the life of the church and the li- lives of, of people in general. I mean, who would have thought a year ago we would be in the situation we're in today? And it's easy for us to kind of spout, well, you know, I like mass, I don't like mass, and I want this, and we should do it this way, and we should, you know what, church? This is not the time for us to complain or to judge, but this is the time for us to pray. Amen. This is the time for us to pray for one another. Luciana, if you come, thank you. You know, we can talk all about what it will take to grow a church. And we can read the church growth books and go to the seminars, and we can study the numbers and put together the programs and design the buildings. And when I was in seminary back in the 80s, and it was all about the, the church growth movement, build the mega church and so forth. But I want to tell you this morning that none of those things will hit the mark until or unless we have a heart for God's people until we have a heart for people. And before we talk about building or rebuilding a church and, you know, people are saying that, well, coming through this COVID thing, it's going to be a a huge task of rebuilding the church. But we need to realize, first of all, that Christ has knit us together as his body and that we need to thus be concerned for each other, to love one another, to have hearts broken for the brokenness we find in each other's lives. That we need to learn what it means to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Amen? And not only for those among us, but even for those in the world around us. And I'm reminded today that, listen, when it comes to church work, it's not just about doing the job of pastoring or teaching or sitting on a board or being a deacon or building an organization or putting together some program or accomplishing some mission. You know, I tell teams that we take overseas on missions trips all the time, listen, we're here to do this job, but that job might not be the thing that God actually sent us here to do. Because ultimately, it's not about the task, it's not about the job, it's not about getting this done but it's about reaching into the hearts of people's lives, ministering to people, having a heart for people. And so there's two takeaways this morning, two takeaways for us this morning. The first is this. I believe God wants to give us his heart for his people. And we need to begin to pray that God, God, that you would give me a heart such that that I'll begin to serve those around me and love and pray, that we'll take care of one another. For all that we do as a church, it flows, first of all, out of our relationships with each other. 
the heart that we have for one another. Because listen, church, what good is it to build the build building, the big buildings and develop all kinds of ministries if we do not have hearts that are moved to love and serve and pray for each other? Listen, I know my stage in life, you know, it's easy for pastors It's easy for leaders. It's easy for teachers and workers to just focus in, to just concentrate on what needs to get done. But ultimately, it all needs to be flowing out of a heart. A heart for God, yes. But as well, a heart for God's people. A heart for his church. A heart for his kingdom. And so let's pray that God would give us his heart. Because how many of us know his heart leans towards his people? He loves his people. Jesus loves his church. But the second takeaway is this, and I don't want to miss this this morning. But if you're facing brokenness in your life today, whatever that brokenness may be, maybe you're part of the church, you've given your life to God through faith in Jesus, but you know there's brokenness in your life today. Or maybe you've been living your life far from God. Maybe you're kind of out there and, you know, you just haven't really known God. You haven't known Jesus for yourself. You know, your life is a mess. And you need hope and you need healing. I want to tell you, Nehemiah's heart represents the heart of God for your life. Because God is concerned about you. God is grieving over the brokenness of your life. He doesn't want to just leave you in the brokenness and the pain and the hurt. But God wants to intervene in your life to help you rebuild the walls of your life, to bring you strength and stability and blessing and the fulfillment of his promises. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you to let God minister to your life this morning. Let him do his work of rebuilding. Put your faith in who he is and what he's done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. I tell you this morning, God's heart is such that he's gone to such great lengths to bring to us salvation, to bring to us wholeness, to bring to us healing, to repair the brokenness of our lives. How did he do that? He gave his one and only son, Jesus. Can you imagine? Giving his son all the way to death on a cross. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to intervene in your life and bring to you his gift of salvation and the, the hope that only he's able to give you and so I challenge you this morning takeaway number two if you're facing brokenness in your life turn to God through faith in Jesus this morning because he loves you and he wants to repair and heal your life today and so I ask us this morning church will we allow our father's heart to become our heart amen Will you bow your heads with me and we're going to pray. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a song in just a moment. But will you bow your heads with me right now? And maybe just lift a hand to the Lord. Just lift your life to the Lord. Say, God, God, would you give me your heart? Give me your heart for the people around me, those within the church, those in my family, those in the world around me. Would you give me your heart, oh God? Lord, I don't want to just go through um, routines and rituals. I don't want to just be a worker, just doing things out of obligation. But I want everything I do to flow out of a heart that represents your heart for your people, your heart for your church, your heart for the people around me. 
Lord, I pray for those out there right now whose lives are broken. Broken, maybe because of some sin that they've allowed to creep back into their lives. Broken because of the things this world has has just pounded them with. Broken because of the pain that others have brought upon them. But God, I pray, I pray that you, the restorer and healer of broken hearts, the repairer of walls, would enter their lives in the name of Jesus Christ and by your Spirit. Lord, I pray for that one right now who's reaching out to you for the very first time that, God, you would enter their life. That Spirit of God, you begin to minister and move and you begin to heal that which has been broken. We thank you today. We thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, there is a, there's a phone number that's going to come up on the bottom of the screen this morning once again. And, and if you have a prayer need, you can submit your prayer need to that text number but but as well if 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 today you you know you need jesus in your life you need god to step into your life maybe for the very first time just 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 send a a short note to that text message number that text number and somebody will reach out to you let us know that you need god you're reaching out to him maybe for the first time and someone will be praying for you will reach out to you we want to minister to you to you today